You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, we have Josh Balin on the call with us, Brain Corp's Senior Director of Strategy. Josh is passionate about using data and automation to drive value and has worked on several sides of the table, covering technology as a reporter, an industry analyst, and being an investor and operator. As a reporter with Bloomberg News, he created technology and telecommunications policy at the start of the mobile communications revolution. Josh's data-driven strategy and investor focus has led to invites to the White House Correspondence Dinner and Congressional Internet Caucus and roles as an industry analyst and investor for like Mason Woodwalker and SAC Capital Advisors. After leaving Wall Street, he founded Velocity Growth Inc., a data and automation company focused on robotics, process automation, data analytics, and visualization. Josh, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. To get us started, can you tell the audience a little bit more about BrainCorp and your role at the organization? Sure. Well, thanks again for having uh, for having me and for having us. Um, Brain Corp is an AI company. We build core uh, technology for the robotics industry. Uh, our Brain OS technology is a cloud connected operating system for commercial autonomous robots. And I think it's important for your listeners to understand that we don't actually build the robots. Um, we partner with machine makers to help them become robotics manufacturers. So some of our partners are uh, dominant in the floor care space, companies like Tenant, Minuteman, Karcher, Nilfisk, and SoftBank Robotics. And so alongside these partners, uh, we've deployed more than 14,000 robots uh, in a variety of different environments, including grocery, retail, malls, airports, commercial buildings. And we currently manage the largest fleet of autonomous mobile robots um, in indoor public spaces in the world. Um, some of your audience may have actually seen our robots inside of Walmart or Giant Eagle, Kroger, uh, Schnucks, or Simon Property Group malls. Uh, as a senior director of strategy, uh, I help set corporate strategy for the company. Um, I'm involved in corporate development and M&A activities. And in addition to that role, I also lead the analytics group at the company where we are trying to make sense of all the data that our robots create and use that to improve the experience of using robots for our customers as much as possible. Great. Well, thank you for that. Um, so much that we can discuss based on that introduction. Um, I guess I'll start with, you know, how does technology such as autonomous mobile robots support retail employees, right? Because this is, this is a retail series. So how does it support retail employees while providing those, those data insights that you're talking about? And one of the things, um, that you list on, on your site is how you help optimize store operations for your clients. Sure. So obviously, you know, we're living in strange times and, and this pandemic has certainly uh, made retailers uh, recognize, you know, how valuable robots can be in day to day operations, um, whether it's sort of alleviating certain demands on workers or 
you know, workers uh, potentially sort of uh, not being uh, uh, on site at certain times, the ability to have that robot do, uh, in this case, uh, uh, the task of, of cleaning that store uh, has become sort of a mission critical task for these retailers and something that they can uh, sort of ensure is done and get that proof of performance in terms of whether that that you know that store had actually been cleaned, right? And so this year in particular, we've obviously seen a, a huge uh, demand for additional robots, you know, in store. But but I think, and this is even more important, we've seen uh, almost a twelve percent year over year increase in usage of our fleet. Right. And so not only are we shipping more robots, but we're also seeing the robots that we are uh, that we've shipped to date being used more and more. And so I think up to this point, sort of through the first nine months of the year, uh, we have actually uh, freed up nearly three mil million hours of productivity for retail workers and grocery workers, et cetera. And so. What 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 I think our customers are realizing is that in order to provide the level of clean that their customers now expect in this pandemic environment, the robot is just a tool to sort of help uh, improve that level of clean and allow some of those retail workers to focus on high traffic areas, you know, potentially areas that could be more prone to. Uh, the spread of, of the virus. And so, you know, just having these robots in that environment, you know, does a few things like it allows them to, uh, you know, measure that clean and allows the janitorial and custodial staff to, you know, really focus on, uh, you know, high value and high leverage activities sort of within that, um, you know, within that cleaning role. So um, when you said the 12 percent year of year growth, I guess my question was going to be, is that solely around cleaning initiatives and you think because of COVID or are there other aspects and, and ways that people are using robotics that factor into that 12% year over year growth? So that 12% number is exclusively a cleaning number. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess on top of that, you know, the other thing that we've noticed uh, in that, you know, within that cleaning number is that the, the hours uh, in which that uh, robotic, uh, that robot is actually running and delivering that clean have actually shifted a bit to more daytime hours, right? A lot of times uh, we'll hear from our customers that they had exclusively been running the robot overnight when there are no customers there, when, you know, stockers are sort of, uh, of, of minimal impact. And I guess sort of as a result of number one, kind of the clean being more important, Number two, the tech and our robots continually improving. Um, our customers are feeling more and more comfortable actually running these robots during the day, which is something that I think is 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 super important. Yeah, yeah. I, I you mentioned how um, you know it freeing up three million hours of productivity, right? And and my question is, you know, how does that how does that really unlock the staff to maybe do something that would be more productive for them to do? Um, are, what what kind of what kind of trends are you seeing? Is this, there's a lot of conversation like, you know, as robots do more, how does that help in a positive way transition how staffs using their time? Yeah, well, 
so again, as as this pandemic has hit, I think it's really sort of underscored some of the challenges that these retail workers face, you know, in these environments. And our particular uh, robotic scrubbers are generally ride-on scrubbers, right? And so these are scrubbers that, um, you know, I'm not sure your audience may have seen sort of these uh, these in the past, but they may, you know, you could almost think of a Zamboni, right? So you could imagine a retail uh, custodian getting on top of the scrubber and driving it up and down the aisles in order to, to clean the store. Um, and so number one, by just removing um, the custodian from that activity, you know, now they may have more time to clean plexiglass or refrigerators or handles or bathrooms, you know, areas again that are at that, that are going to need that additional sanitization and, and clean. And I think beyond that, um, you know, I, and I think this is one of the places that we're sort of uniquely positioned is that, you know, as robots continue to get better, um, you know, one robot can have more than one function. Right. And so as the robot is going up and down the aisles, you know, scrubbing the floor, ensuring sort of a certain level of clean, uh, it can be um, uh, collecting data, processing data and actually leading to some of those uh, process uh, improvement and optimization loops that, that we really hope to create for our customers. So tell us more about how your AI solution is differentiated right? Because it's, it's great that you're collecting all this information. Um, but the challenge is always, what do you do with that information? So how are you helping your clients think creatively? Sure. When you think of kind of brain OS powered AMRs, right? I think the biggest thing is that um, they can navigate extremely complex store environments. Um, we don't need our customers um, to change uh, the layout of their stores. We don't need them to add additional sensors into their stores. That's really um, sort of, you know, the, frankly, the magic of, of part of our AI. Um, our systems are, are super adaptable in that, you know, when different conditions change, uh, we can pick those things up and, and ultimately optimize routes accordingly. I think, you know, when you talk about sort of what differentiates us, um, you know, we, we've primarily so far talked about floor care robots, which is certainly kind of the bulk of our uh, portfolio of deployed robots. But as I briefly mentioned, we're starting to get into um, shelf scanning and data collection robots and also uh, delivery robots as well. And so being able to have a single uh, platform, which is Brain OS, that enables multiple different types of robots and therefore multiple functions all be managed in the same environment is extremely powerful, right? We've already seen some of our customers as they get into environments where they may be deploying one or more different solutions, even managing these data and workflows starts to become quite cumbersome. And so I think one of the big advantages, number one, is that we've handled probably more edge cases in terms of indoor mapping and different types of changes that have come up um, in these environments. And number two, we allow for uh, these different functions to all live under the same umbrella, right? 
And, and I think, you know, it's really important to understand that things that uh, have changed sort of in a pandemic COVID environment, you know, things like putting up plexiglass at the checkout windows, this actually impacts the way that robots work, right? Because there's new reflections that different cameras and LIDAR sensors have to pick up. Um, and so, you know, the fact that we've, you know, logged uh, probably among the most autonomous hours uh, amongst the sort of a public fleet of robots and that we have sort of uh, the biggest absolute number of robots operating in these spaces, frankly, is just a huge advantage that continues to compound as we, you know, log more and more time sort of in store. Um, so I think, you know, that that would probably be, uh, you know, kind of the, the best things to point to. And I, I you know, I guess one more thing would be that we work really closely, you know, with our partners and OEMs, right? You know, Tenant, for example, they're a 150 year old company, right? And they've been selling floor scrubbers out to some of their customers for, 50 years. And so we're, we're in a really unique spot that we've really helped Tenant become one of the leading robotics makers in the world. And that's, uh, you know, that's something we're super proud of. Yeah. I mean, as you talk about, um, shelf scanning and delivery, you know, how do you see, uh, Brain Corp being a, a strategic kind of partner to your clients as you're seeing so much more around flexible fulfillment? And brands really needing to teeter between those quick serve metrics of fulfillment and as and a, and a destination perhaps of discovery, um, and making it as efficient as possible. Because you know, I think we have the validation that people will do curbside, they will do bopis, they will do order ahead, they you know they they will use Postmates, but um, it's really making sure that we're de- we're delivering on that as efficiently as possible in order for the customer to be happy with the experience. Totally. And, and I think, you know, everything you just described is, is stuff that we're constantly talking with both our, um, OEM partners and with our end customer, um, um, users of our robotics, you know, constantly and, and sort of making sure that we're prioritizing, you know, our development roadmap in line with some of the new challenges that our end customers are facing is, is something that is, you know, frankly, priority number one on our end. Um, When we see, um, you know, when we see our customers asking for some of the things, you know, that you just laid out, we're trying to think about ways that we can improve Brain OS to be more uh, inclusive of some of those uh, functions. Right. So when we first uh, started in the market, right, we saw this this universal opportunity with floor care. But but soon thereafter, once once you're operating in that in that uh, retail environment, um, new use cases are always coming you know, to the forefront. Right. And that's effectively how we got into the delivery uh, robot uh, business. Right. As we had. Um, we had certain end customers that were requesting, you know, help with moving inventory from the back of the house to the front of the house. Right. And, you know, so so by developing a solution alongside some OEM partners like Unicarriers and Dane on the material handling front, um, that was something that we were able to deliver our customers. And 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 frankly, the the pandemic and, and COVID more broadly 
has made these types of use cases um, certainly more relevant, uh, but also, you know, when your when your end customer has a has a specific goal in mind, right, which is you know improving uh, store operations, it becomes very straightforward for us to tie the operations of the robot and the output of the robot to some really clear metrics and data that some of our end customers are tracking, right, and so. Whether or not you're trying to get a specific number of turns based on a you know a delivery robot or a certain amount of you know steps avoided by um, uh, by workers in the store, you know th those types of of metrics kind of are are frankly you know able to be tracked for really the first time, right? Because um, you know previously it's it's a uh, it's somebody in the store maybe um, you know moving. Things from point A to point B. Are we sure they got there? Eh, maybe. Right. Yeah. I mean, because that's my question is, you know, I'm sure you guys are always uh, iterating and innovating. Um, you know, my question is like, how much are you a partner then to your client on helping them with store mapping and planogram planning and compliances, um, and helping them also from a shelf scanning standpoint, I guess, getting to uh, better pricing accuracy and, and, and intelligence around that. Well, so, you know, uh, when it comes to some of the use cases you just described, right, with, if it's planogram compliance or, you know, product mapping, um, what's interesting is that, um, you know, I, I could tell you stories of walking into certain retailers and talking to the store manager and getting a piece of paper uh, that was a printout of the store, and then they would have different color post-it notes uh, all over the piece of paper that would indicate, you know, wh whether they were out of something, whether something needed to be restocked, um, you know, whether this had, whether this met different sort of planogram compliance thresholds. And this was all sort of being done by hand. Every store manager would do it a little bit differently. And they would call up to that, you know, regional manager, sort of, you know, big boss at, at, at HQ. And they would sort of go through their process and it just became, it just becomes cumbersome, right? The more and more stores you're managing, the harder it becomes to, you know, manage these things by hand. And so when you look at shelf scanning in particular, um, what our robots are basically doing is they're moving through areas of the store. They're taking high resolution photos of, you know, what's on the shelves, different signage, different shelf sections. And what makes BrainOS so amazing is that we're actually localizing every single one of those pictures and stitching them together to effectively give you a recreated view of that store. And what's so powerful about that is that not only can we help our end customers with more real-time maps or, you know, what some of our end customers call the realogram as, as compared to the planogram, um, you know, what are actual shelf conditions as compared to what they're supposed to be based on, a you know, a, an agreement with somebody. Um, you know, what that can do is all of those pictures can now be analyzed using computer vision and AI to unlock a slew of different use cases in those environments. So we can tell you where your products are. We can, you know, we can, we can build that map. 
we can tell you which sections are in violation of different planning, you know, of different planogram compliance factors. And so these types of, um, you know, these types of use cases. And by the way, uh, one more thing to add there is is pricing compliance, right? Right. Exactly. It's not uncommon to go into stores where the you know the the sign says it's 99 cents and when you look on the product it's 89 cents or it was supposed to be a dollar oh nine and it's 89. and so getting into the aisle taking these pictures on sort of a a regular basis uh it has just been a tremendous uh, value add and frankly is probably you know and i i we chatted about this briefly, um, but it, it's, I think, one of the reasons that, that led to Sam's Club uh, recently expanding um, their um, shelf scanning engagement with us to, you know, to, to, to get bigger and bigger because I think they're seeing, uh, you know, those benefits and, and what the potential could be. So how does a company, you mentioned Sam's Club, how does a process work with BringCorp? Um, you seeing, so is there like a, a, what does an onboarding look like and how long does the pilot usually last? And then, you know, how do you evaluate success? Yeah, so every customer is a little bit different. Um, every retailer has different, um, or, or frankly, any environment, right? Whether it's a retail, I know we're talking about retail primarily, but an airport is different from a retail environment, which is different from a, um, you know, which is different from a mall. Um, typically in retail, um, we'll see pilots last anywhere between one and three months. Um, the success criteria, you know, in simple terms is how much of my store uh, can you clean autonomously? Right. And I think, you know, ultimately by cleaning that percentage of the store autonomously, how much better does the quality of clean look uh, across, you know, my, my single store, all of my stores, et cetera. And, you know, as I'm doing these things, and I think this is really kind of that eye towards the future, how else can I see robotics in my environment over the next five to 10 years, right? When, when we, you know, when we talk to end customers, they know that they need to go this direction over time for, you know, improved data tracking, improved performance, you know, optimization. But a lot of times they're, they're not a hundred percent sure wh what that first use case is going to be and how they're going to sort of get from zero to one. Um, and so, you know, a lot of them are uh, really trying kind of in some cases sort of their first uh, in-store retail robotics deployment. And, you know, floor care seems like something that's uh, relatively digestible and a good place to start for folks. Where do you see the future in the next two years and then we could say five years of how robotics and and kind of, I guess, humans coexist. There's so much conversation, like, is, is, is the world going to, is it in retail, is it data-driven or is it human-centric? And if it's a mix, how do the two live together? Well, I mean, we could have sort of a, you know, we a, get a philosophical, but <laughs> yeah, we could totally get philosophical about that and have a conversation about how, you know, really for how long retail has been using data. And I think the answer is for, for quite some time in a variety of different ways, right? Um, and so, look, we're we're always uh, excited to think about new functions and applications that 
um, robots uh, can bring to retail, certainly. And so I think, you know, in addition to, to retailers thinking about robots as sort of a part of their, um, you know, cleaning uh, operations, you know, we're hearing more and more about them, again, sort of thinking about, you know, point-to-point -point delivery uh, being a place where, where this is going to become, you know, more prevalent. And also, you know, within a data collection world, right? And whether we're talking about shelf scanning or we're talking about a robot going up and down the aisles and measuring, you know, humidity in the produce section or temperature by refrigerators, right? Um, what's interesting is that in some ways, um, robots are the ultimate IoT play and in other ways are the elegant IoT play because, again, they don't require physical changes to retail environments. I would, I would, I would love to have a conversation with you or with some of your audience about those that have opted for in-building sensors all across their store and how much they like upgrading those, you know, every, every five years. And so, you know, we, we talked earlier about the robots running more and more during daytime, right? But, but I think most importantly, right, when we think about the next few years, you know, we're going to lean very heavily on our OEM partners to really, you know, lead the way in terms of, you know, what their customers are telling them are, are most important, um, you know, to, to provide, you know, at, at the core, you know, number one, the, the, the cleanest environment that, that people can, you know, obviously see and, and, and trust. And, and I think what's even more important is that it's consistent and that, frankly, it's measurable, right? And so, so long as we can sort of continue to deliver on those three areas, right, where it looks really clean, people feel really good about being in there, it's always happening. And, you know, and I can always look at a report from the night before to, to ensure that it's happening. That, I think, is kind of where folks are going to go, right? And so, you know, again, like by partnering with machine makers and by partnering with some of our, um, you know, and, and by having such uh, amazing end customers, you know, we're, we're going to certainly do our best to innovate in the space and deliver new products and offerings. And we hope that, um, you know, we hope that, that to some extent that the market, you know, dictates what types of automation solutions um, you know, are most valuable, um, you know, to our customers and to our end customers. Well, to that note, uh, have there been any surprise learnings outcomes that you've seen in 2020 when, and, you know, as far as like talking about the market dictating what they need? You know, I think that um, the daytime use certainly surprised us. Um, we hadn't expected to see that shift in user behavior. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that, that increase really w was a shock. Um, and I think, I, I don't know that I gave kind of that absolute increase, but I, I want to say it's uh, about 130% from, you know, in a year over year basis of, you know, running in, in, in these hours versus those hours. And so that was one thing I think that, that surprised us quite a bit. Um, and I think, you know, as, 
uh, as environments have changed, you know, I mentioned the plexiglass or, or different um, accommodations that different retailers are taking, you know, inevitably, you know, new, uh, new edge cases uh, continue to pop up. Um, and so, you know, beyond that, I think we've just been really pleased with um, usage overall. Certainly, we've announced a, a good number of, of, of partners this year that we're very happy about. Um, you know, we've got some exciting uh, products coming sort of at the beginning of next year um, that, that are really, um, you know, frankly, quite innovative and, and, and again, kind of continue to lean on the, you know, the hard work and, and engineering that our, that our partners are, are doing. And so, you know, 2020 for us really was, was, a, was a huge year. I mean, we had, I want to say, so this year, you know, I mentioned that 3 million um, hours of productivity that we freed up. For, for context, in 2019, it was 331,000 hours. Wow, so we've seen so nearly a 10, we've seen nearly a 10x increase year over year. Now, again, part of that is because our fleet size has grown, but part of that is that usage is up. And so that's, I think, really, you know, really exciting stuff. So 2020 has been a big year for us. No, absolutely. It's interesting where we always ask, where will everything normalize? You know, I don't think people will be less conscious of hygiene, but um, we'll see where everything where everything normalizes. And the exciting part for you is all the edge use cases that become illuminated, right? Well, while you're having um, the robots so um, heavily used and deployed, and then it helps illuminate some of these additional needs and opportunities. Totally. This is a you know this this is one of those you know virtuous cycle flywheel. Um, you know, loops that, that, that we're super, uh, super excited about, right? The more we operate, the better we get. Yes. No, absolutely. Well, we're going to have to keep watching, um, your press releases to see all these new partners that you talk about, um, <laughs> and, and, and see who you're working with, um, going forward. Um, well, this was a good conversation. I think, you know, the opportunities with, uh, uh, automation is significant. And I think you're going to see a lot more, uh, brands and retailers kind of leaning into partnering with companies like yours. So um, while it's been a very odd year to say the least, um, it's it's exciting to see all the opportunities that have come out from it uh, on the technology side. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, anecdotally, right, you'll hear people say that, you know, five years of innovation has happened all in one year, things like that. I, I think that there's there's some truth to that. I think that when you start operating um, inside uh, spaces around people, um, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, innovation can happen, but it can't happen at quite the torrid pace. Let's say that an iPhone app uh, would work. But, but, but again, given the number of uh, functions and use cases that we're starting to uncover, uh, we're, we're, we're very optimistic that, um, you know, that these strange times have actually created quite a, quite a nice environment for us to uh, continue to grow. No, absolutely. So much innovation happening. Um, well, before I let you go, uh, one thing I ask our guest um, in, in this time is, you know, and I'm, I'm developing a very long list, um, as you can imagine, but you're in, you're calling in from Austin. Um, I know your company's in San Diego, but you're calling in from Austin. And while we're not traveling much today, I know we will again. So for our audience, what are the three must do or visit things in Austin? Um, 
next time you travel? Well, candidly, this is quite easy. <laughs> um, Austin is a great city. The last, I believe, when lockdown first started, it was the, the week before South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would certainly encourage everybody to get down here for South by. Um, secondarily, uh, Austin City Limits, oh, yeah. which is about as great of a music festival as you could have. Um, so we just, we just missed that this year. Um, and so that would be, you know, that would be sort of my number two. And, um, number three, you know, I would say that there's a, there's a great natural pool, uh, just outside of Austin called Hamilton pool. Oh. Uh, and anyone who's uh, been there knows it's sort of a magical place. Uh, anyone that hasn't, uh, I would encourage to get out there and, uh, you know, jump in some, some cool natural springs in the hot summer Texas heat and uh, you'll have a wonderful time. That sounds great. <laughs> I can't wait to jump into any sort of pool at sometime soon as we start yes. to hit the winter weather here on the East Coast. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. It was a great conversation. Um, again, everyone, this was Josh Balin, BrainCorp Senior Directory of Strategy and to the future of automation. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you. 